Good morning. How many of you are here thinking you were coming to Sunday school right now? Anybody? <laughs> I was talking in the first service this morning how um, today and daylight savings time in the fall are the two days of the year we have the greatest attendance in Sunday school uh, because today there were more people there of people thinking they were coming to the first service and in the fall people are going to be there thinking they were coming to this service. So, so Sunday school teachers love daylight saving time. Uh, may not be there very long. I hear there's a bill right now in, in Austin that's uh, wanting to shut that down. So uh, maybe we won't have to do that for very long. Well, it's good to see everybody. If you have your Bibles with you, why don't you turn to uh, the Gospel of John chapter 6 once again. Last week we were looking at the story in Exodus 16 where God gives manna from heaven to the Israelites in the wilderness. And then we contrasted that with John 6 where uh, Jesus is saying that he is what that story was all about, what it was pointing to. He said, I am the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. This morning we're going to continue in John 6 because Jesus didn't end that conversation there. Uh, That conversation continues on quite a bit, and I wanted us to keep looking at this because it actually gets pretty intense and at one point takes a very unusual turn. But it is in that strangeness of what Jesus said that that he makes some very vital points. We're going to pick up in verse 41 of John 6, so let's all stand one more time as we do it to honor God's word this morning. Jesus has told them that he is the bread of life sent from heaven. Verse 41 says, therefore the Jews were grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. They were saying, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down out of heaven? Jesus answered and said to them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you that he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This, talking about himself, is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the, and the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Let's pray. God, I'm so grateful for, Lord, just this time here together with your people. Uh, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come now and just guide us in the truth of your word. Lord, in this, Jesus is talking about how... In him is life. God, I pray for those who have never found that life in you that they would do that today. God, those of us who who need to be reminded, who need uh, just a fresh feeling of that life, God, this morning I pray that would happen. So, Lord, speak and let us hear what you are saying to us. In Jesus' name, amen. (coughs) 
So some of the Jews that were listening to Jesus say these things just thought he was crazy. They were like, he didn't come from heaven. He came from his parents, Mary and Joseph. Now, they're not saying this to Jesus' face. They're just doing this to each other, kind of keeping it quiet where, where he can't hear it. And in verse 43, Jesus says, don't grumble among yourselves. To grumble means to mutter discontent, to utter in low, indistinct sounds. And so they were saying this to each other, trying not to let Jesus hear what they were saying and complaining about what he was saying. But he calls them out on it. In verse 44, he says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Now, I talked about that statement quite a bit yesterday and how it just shows us that salvation is all God's doing. But what I think Jesus meant by saying it right here um, when he said this to them was, hey, don't, don't just grumble to each other where I can't hear it. You're not going to offend me. You're not going to hurt my feelings because unless the Father reveals the truth to you, you're not going to understand what I say anyway. And then in verse 45, he says, it is written in the prophets and they shall all be taught of God. Here he was referring to two Old Testament texts, Isaiah 54, 13 and Jeremiah 31. Each of these is a prophecy of what God was going to do through Jesus. Isaiah 54, 13 says, all your children will be taught by the Lord. What he was saying in that is that it meant... It won't be because they went to religious school and were taught by a rabbi. It will be because, purely because of what God does. And then Jeremiah 31 is about the new covenant that God was going to make with Jesus. And in that, God talks about how he's going to write his law on our hearts. It will no longer be this external list of rules that we have to follow, but it's going to be written deep down on our hearts and that we will all know God, not because someone else taught us about him, because, but because he will reveal himself to us. And so Jesus is just reiterating that the knowledge of divine truth is not something that you and I can gain on our own. It is purely something that God himself reveals and gives to us as his grace. And then he talks about the manna again, saying, your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and died. I am the bread that if anyone eats will not die. Now, we're going to pick up here and continue on from verse 52 on down because verse 52 is where things get gets real interesting. Verse 52, it says, Then the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now they're thinking that Jesus has really lost it because he's talking about eating his flesh. Of course, you and I know, or we should know, that he didn't mean that literally because you and I can now look at this through the lens of the gospel and know that he was be, uh, using metaphor here. But what's interesting is that Jesus doesn't tell them that. He doesn't go, oh, wait a minute, y'all, you don't understand. I, I'm just being metaphorical here. And he doesn't try to explain it away. Look what he says next. Verse 53, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. 
as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. Now, we have to admit, and it's okay to do that, that these are some of the craziest words Jesus ever spoke in Scripture. And I can just picture the people who are there hearing this, that as soon as he ended things right there in verse 58, there had to be just this incredibly awkward moment of silence where everybody's just staring at him with their mouths wide open trying to figure out, did he just say what I think he said? And I can just picture the 12 disciples over on the side going, oh no. Now I titled this message, Trolling the Blind. Because I believe that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. The word troll has taken on a a new definition in the age of the internet. You younger people know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you older ones may not. So the definition of trolling is the deliberate act of making random, unsolicited, and or controversial comments on various internet forums with the intent to provoke an emotional knee-jerk reaction. Well, obviously, Jesus wasn't on an internet forum, but I do believe that he was definitely making a controversial comment in order to provoke an emotional reaction. Now, look at verse 59. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. I just love that verse. You know why? Because I was there. (laughs) When we were in Israel, Danny and I, we we were there in Capernaum in that synagogue. I actually got a picture of it. There it is. That's not me in the middle there. That's the pastor that kind of headed up our group. But that is the synagogue in Capernaum where Jesus stood and was saying these very words, which is so neat. Those columns there were added after Jesus, but but that's, that's the place. All right, verse 60. It says, Therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said... This is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? And what they said was a huge understatement. This is a difficult statement. These aren't the Jews that thought Jesus was crazy a minute ago. These are some of his own disciples who are now saying this. And so some of them are now beginning to question him. They may have been thinking, oh my goodness, what have we gotten ourselves into here? Things just took a turn for the weird. And you know that there had to be some there that were worried about some of the same things that people in church worry about today. Like, don't say anything controversial like that. You might run some people off. I mean, we're going to lose some of our biggest financial supporters if you keep talking talking like that, Jesus. Jesus, those are some really good tithers that you just made mad and ran off. Verse 61, but Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, does this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? What I believe he meant by that was, if you don't understand this, what I just said, you're not going to understand it when you see me go back to the Father. It's like, if if this isn't going to make sense to you, neither will that. And then 63 
It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life, but there are some of you who do not believe. Now, some of them had to be relieved to hear Jesus say this. When he was essentially saying, don't worry, I'm not asking y'all to be a bunch of cannibals. My flesh is not where it's at. Eating my flesh is not where you're going to find life. Receiving my spirit is what is going to give you life. Now, to understand what Jesus meant from verse 53 to verse 58, you got to take into account the whole context of this conversation, which actually started back in verse 26. And the context is all about the Israelites eating the manna in Exodus 16. So uh, I know we talked about that last week, but we're going to look at it again for just a minute um, because it's important to be able to understand these weird things that Jesus was saying. So the Israelites there in the wilderness, we talked about how they were in a very desperate situation because they were in such a desolate land. That's why they were hungry and had no food. They were in a hopeless situation. I showed you pictures of, of where they were in that area and how desolate it was. There were, there were no animals. There was no vegetation. There was nothing but rocks and sand for as far as the eye could see. And so the first thing there, if you're following along in the notes in the bulletin, is a description of their situation. And there are three things that we can say about the Israelites in the wilderness. Number one, is that unless God showed up and did something miraculous, they were destined to die. There was just no way around it. For them to live, God would have to show up and do something miraculous. For them to be saved from death, number two, it required God doing something for them that they were unable to do themselves. God had to do something for them that they were unable to do themselves. And then, once God did miraculously show up and send the manna, number three, in order to live, they had to take in or eat what God provided. Now then, look at those three descriptions of the Israelites in the wilderness. And what you see is the same exact description of our condition apart from Christ. This is how we all come into this world, which I believe is what the wilderness represents. It represents this world that you and I are are living in because there is absolutely nothing that this world can offer that will save any of us. Our condition, being born into a world broken by the curse of sin, is that unless God shows up and does something miraculous, we are all destined to die. Someone asked me one time, what exactly is it I have to do in order to go to hell? And I said, absolutely nothing. You were born headed there. We all are. That's what it means to be born in sin. And in order for that to change, it requires God doing something for us that we are unable to do for ourselves, which is number two. And then in order to live, in order for that curse of sin to be broken off of our lives, we have to take in or eat what God provides. And what does he provide? Jesus said it here. I am the bread that came down from heaven. Now then, with all that in mind, let's look closer at this trolling statement Jesus made. 
Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Of course, it sounds pretty gross on face value. I mean, it sounds like some cannibalistic religion that Jesus is trying to start, but it's not. And by the way, this text, coupled with the account of the Last Supper, where Jesus took the bread and the wine and said, this is my body and this is my blood, that and and this together is what the Catholics and some other denominations base their belief about communion on, called transubstantiation, which is belief that when you take communion, the bread and the wine actually somehow become the physical body and blood of Jesus. But Jesus himself really just shoots that down in verse 63 when he said, The flesh profits nothing. It is the spirit that gives life. So what Jesus is doing here by talking about his blood and his body and his flesh is that he's looking ahead and speaking to his whole purpose in coming here to earth. He was referring to the cross. You see, Jesus wasn't saying, if you just believe what I say then you're going to have life. He wasn't, if you just agree with my teaching or if you just want to be a part of this group here that's gathered around here, you're in. I mean, this isn't something that you fill a membership card out for. This isn't something that you just stick a Christian fish on the back of your car and think now you're a part of something that you're in. He's saying, you have to eat, you have to take in my flesh and my blood. Another title that I could have used for this would have been, You Are What You Eat. Because that's pretty much what Jesus is, is saying here. So just this week, I made the decision to start eating right and exercising again. I had just gotten completely fed up with being in the worst shape of my life and seeing like I'm tired all the time. And so I made a decision this week to, to, to kind of change my, my eating habits. And so every day I have made a conscious effort to pay attention to what I'm eating. And it's only been a week. I mean, I started this Monday, but already, aside from a few bluebell withdrawals, <laughs> I'm already starting to feel a little better. I mean, it's already starting to to have an effect. And so the next point in the notes is this. What we take in has an effect on how we live. So what does it mean in this sense to take in? Well, with a healthy food, what I'm doing is saying that for my level of energy, for my health, For my physical appearance, for my mental sharpness and mood, I'm counting on the healthy food to change those things. I'm putting my hope in healthy food to improve things. But just saying that I'm hoping in that is not going to do anything. I have to actually put some action to that. And the action to that is actually eating the food itself. And so Jesus is saying for our spiritual well-being, for us to be made right with God, for us to have God's favor on our life, for us to uh, have been credited with meeting the requirements of the law, we have to count on Jesus' flesh and blood for that. We have to take that in. And so the last point, Jesus' flesh and blood is a reference to the cross. 
In order for our sins to be removed, they first had to be paid for. And the required payment was blood. Jesus paid that for us. For God to be the God of justice that he says he is, sin had to be punished. Jesus took that punishment for us by giving his body over as the recipient of God's wrath for our sin. His flesh was torn, his blood was spilled so that you and I could be made right, so that you and I could have God's favor, so that we could sit in this place today and know what it means to be sons and daughters of God. He fulfilled the law, he met God's requirements, and so for you to know that that is your only hope is to take in his flesh and his blood. But like I said, just to say I believe in that is not going to do any good. You also, like the food, have to actually act on that to take that in. And what I believe, the action that goes with that is what we call repentance. To repent is the act that you put with that, with your faith, your reliance on that. And we've learned before, repentance is not just a change in behavior. It's a complete change in thinking as well. Just like being, believing that healthy food is going to have an effect on my physical well-being and, and acting on that by eating it, I believe Jesus' death on the cross is the only thing that's going to have an effect on my, my spiritual well-being, my eternal life. And so I act on that through repentance I don't put my hope in how good I act. I don't put it in how often I go to church, how much money I give to missions. I don't even put it in the fact that I've been serving God in ministry for 18 years. My hope is in nothing but the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Because I know that I'm not going to be able to stand before the judgment throne of God and go, God, here's what I did for you. My only hope is to be able to point to Jesus and say, this is what he did for me. So what Jesus meant with these controversial words is that we have to depend on his sacrifice on the cross for our eternal life just as much as we depend on food for our physical life. There's nothing else but what he has done. But here's another thing I believe that we can take from this. Jesus obviously was not worried at all about offending anyone with what he said. He wasn't trying to maintain a crowd. I mean, not one time did he try to soften his words and and make them more palatable in order to appease the, the concerns of the people. If anything, he just went the other way. I mean, he was pushing some folks off the fence if they may have been riding it at this point. So if there's anyone who was there going, you know, I've been hearing a lot about this Jesus guy, so I'm here to check him out. I'm just kind of trying to decide if he's, if he's a crazy or, or if he's legit. And then they would have heard Jesus say this, and they would have just noped right on out of there, just come completely off the fence at that point. You know why I believe that Jesus said it this way? Why he trolled them, if you will, like this? I think part of it was him just standing in the fact of a truth that he had mentioned earlier when he said no one can come to him unless it's the father that draws them. You see, he knew that even if he would explain it, explain this in a way that would have been easy to understand, if he would have just been crystal clear and not speaking in these metaphorical terms, they still wouldn't have got it. I mean, no matter how he would have said it, 
If the father was not the one who was revealing the truth to them, they still would have thought he was just as crazy. You will know what happened as a result of all this. Look at verse 66. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. I said in referring to the 12, these were some of those kind of disciples at large, those that were following him in addition to the 12, it caused some of them to leave, those who thought that they believed him, but now they had a change of mind, a change of heart, and they turned and left. This was just too much for them. And I just love what happens next. Verse 67, so Jesus said to the 12, you do not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. Peter's response to me is just awesome. Now, Peter is known for having said some pretty stupid things that is just recorded all throughout the Gospels. But right here, I believe this is one of the most profound and powerful statements that Peter had ever made. It's like he was going, yeah, Jesus, what you said was, sounded pretty crazy. And none of it makes a lick of sense to any of us. But we trust you. We trust you. Well, we don't get it. But man, what you said, that was some weird stuff that you just said there, Jesus. But there's something to it I know because something kind of jumped inside of me even when you were saying those things. I don't understand those words, but I know deep inside here that those are words of life. And so look at this. You've got two groups of people here. They're both hearing the same exact thing. These words Jesus talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. To one group, he's a crazy man who doesn't know what he's talking about. To the other, I don't really get it, but I do know these are words of life you got the father who's drawn some and the others are just blind. One more thing about this I want to bring out before I close. Church, I believe that we are living in a time right now that we cannot afford to be afraid of offending or alienating anyone with the truth. The gospel is great news. It's full of it. Say that all the time. But it is not puppy dogs and rainbows all the time. There are some aspects of the gospel that are very divisive. There are aspects of it that are very hard for some people to swallow. But we need to be just as bold with those parts of it as we are with all the rest. We cannot be concerned about building crowds building buildings or budgets or building our own reputation if we're really going to be concerned about building God's kingdom. Because a lot of times in order to build one, it's going to cost you the other. We cannot water down and compromise truth for the sake of acceptance. And if there's anything this text tells us, it's that is. Being mamby-pamby and watering down the truth isn't going to lead anybody to Christ anyway. 
So we might as well go all out and be as bold as we can. You know, people aren't going to come to Jesus because you made the gospel easier to understand. They're going to come to Jesus because the Holy Spirit drew them and opened their eyes to the truth. And so that should give a lot of y'all some comment because I know people like, man, I can't really share Jesus with anybody. I don't know the Bible well enough. I don't, I don't know enough to say. Well, guess what? I'm fixing to take that excuse away from you because it ain't about the words that you so skillfully put together. You just go out there and let God use you and let him be the ones that draw them. Just say what you know. Say what you do know, and I promise you, God's going to take up the slack of the rest. Because he's the one that does it anyway. So you might as well go all out. We'll just be as bold as we can. Truth is, we've got nothing to lose. Jesus drew a line in the sand here. And he separated those who were just kind of hanging out as part of the crowd from those who were true disciples. When we water down the truth, we run the risk of lulling people into a false sense of security about their salvation. I'm telling you right now, we've got churches all over the place that are full of people who think they're saved when they're not simply because people have not been bold enough to make it clear what salvation really is to make it clear what a true disciple of Jesus really is. The times that we are living in, I believe, are just way too crucial for us to be playing organizational church games. Too crucial for us to be just trying to make a name for ourselves. I believe that right now, one of the things that God is doing is that he is in the process of really calling his people out. He's in the process of of separating the sheep from the goats and the chaff from the wheat, just like Jesus said would happen. And it's time for the people of God to stop blending in with the rest of the world and start standing in truth, no matter how controversial it might be. Make no mistake, we will pay a price for that. Jesus said we would. I read an article last week that was really disturbing, how someone over in Britain was arrested and thrown in jail for misgendering another person. They referred to this person as their birth gender rather than the gender that they were identifying with, and it had offended this person to the point that they went and reported him to the police, and they came and arrested him and put him in jail, and he wasn't even doing it to try to get at the person. He had known this person all his life. And he's like, but I've always known them as this. And it just, it just, it was just habit to call it, refer to them as that. Sorry, you can't do that. It's against the law. Pretty soon it's going to be a crime here to speak the truth of God's word regarding homosexuality. And then other things are going to be added to that where it's going to be a crime to say anything that might offend anybody, even that Jesus is the only way to salvation. My brother, who is state representative in Austin right now, told me there is a bill that has been filed 
that makes it a crime, makes it illegal for pastors to say anything derogatory about homosexuality in their own churches. In the Texas State House, that bill exists. Now, luckily, right now, there's enough of God's people not to even let that get out of committee. So it's not going to see the light of day, this legislation, this legislature, but make no mistake, they're going to keep on and keep on and keep on trying to push that through until it happens. And once that happens, the dominoes are just going to fall. And everything that we hold dear is going to come under attack. And that's when here, the line in the sand is going to be drawn. That's here when the sheep and the goats are going to be separated. Jesus is going to go, you with me? You really with me? I know you've been going to church, but I'm asking, are you with me? I know you've been wearing that t-shirt, but I'm asking if you're really with me. So it's time for the people of God to stand up and be bold about the gospel. To be bold. Stop being so wishy-washy. Stop blending in with the rest of the culture. Because it's like Peter said, where else are we going to go? Where else are we going to go? Only you have life. There is nothing this world can offer that is going to give the life that only Jesus can. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you were so bold. I thank you that you were not concerned with being popular. That you were concerned with saving us. You weren't concerned about building crowds, but building your kingdom. You knew that it required your blood and your broken body in order for that to happen. Lord, I pray that we would be the people that you're calling out here in this text. The people who are so reliant on your body and your blood, just as reliant on that for our life as we are reliant on food for survival. Lord, I pray for those in here that may have been living on that fence. Trying to live with one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. Oh, you show them how that's just not going to work. Lord, would you reveal your goodness to them in such a way, God, where they just can't help but fall over the fence into your arms. Lord, I pray that you would infuse all of us just with a spirit of boldness. God, having a revelation of your love so strong that it completely eliminates any fear that we have. Any fear that we have of standing up to this world. Any fear that we have of saying no to anything that goes against your truth. Lord, I pray that this morning there will be some action paired with faith and that action being that repentance that we talked about. God, just complete 180 turn from what we've involved ourselves with that is not of you and just completely turning to you 
Not just changing our actions, God, but changing our complete way of thinking. Lord, I know you're here. I know you're here with your spirit. I pray that you would just open our eyes and our ears, that you would do the work in our hearts that you intend to do. Lord, make us into the people that you desire for us to be. Make us into the church you desire us to be. Not for our glory, not for our name, but for yours and yours alone. So God, would you have your way in Jesus' name, amen.